0: We're studying the book of Colossians on Sunday morning, and in just a few minutes, we'll be looking at verses from chapter one. The scriptures will be on the screen. But before we look at this particular text, let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16, then join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Colossians 1 verse 20. And through him, to talking about Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became, have become a servant of it. Now this passage, we're focusing today on the word reconciled. He reconciled us to himself. And this passage tells us we need to be reconciled. What that implies is that until you come to know Jesus, you are not right with God. You are separated from God. You're not on good terms with God. Uh, Now, can I give you another thought before we go to the meat of the sermon? One of the reasons why you need to make sure that you are right with God in salvation and right with God in your walk with him is because if you're not right with God, nothing else in your life will ultimately be right. Everything will just be off. Uh, Karen and I know this, and that's one of the things we do in our marriage. I, we have a little different getting up schedules. I get up a little earlier than she does and have my time alone with God. And then I bring her coffee, and then she has a great time with God in, in before she gets up and starts the day. And we found out we need that because I'm on to live with if Jesus is not on the throne, if, I, if I've got myself on the throne. And so we draw the strength. Uh, sometimes it's a challenge. We've got two small grandkids with us today, and so one of them went in and slept <laughs> with her in the bed. I was trying to keep watch by sleeping on the sofa and they went and slept with her in the bed. They slept right by me. And, uh, and so when, uh, he got up, uh, Karen got him out and says, now you stay here. I got to have my quiet time. He wanted to go. I says, you stay here. Let her have her quiet time. <laughs> it is important that we be right with God or nothing else is Right. Now, when I say this, that we all need to be right with God, we need reconciling with God, that, that we are by nature, by birth, alienated and hostile to God. Well, well, folks, there's some people would say, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. And, and I'll give you some examples. Some people don't feel feel like they need to be reconciled with God because they feel like, hey, God and I, but we're all right. I, and this is what, what I cringe when I hear terms like this. Well, me and the man upstairs are doing just fine. Well, if somebody ever uses the term man upstairs, I know they need to be reconciled with God because that's just not the proper way you address holy God. But there are a lot of folks, and a lot of this comes because there's a lot of very shallow teaching out there that basically pictures God this way. God is the great grandfather in the sky who looks down at you and says, it's okay, kid. I don't care what you do. I love you. Just don't worry about it. That's not holy God. And so because of that wrong teaching, some people don't see their need to be reconciled with God. But if you were to ask others, are you at odds with God? Some would say yes, but they would blame God. So the reason I'm not right with God is because God has done me wrong. We had a neighbor across the street from us in Alabama, a sweet couple. We were able to get them to come to church periodically. We, we loved them and reached out to them, saw their first baby born to them. When I talked to her about her background spiritually and her relationship with God, she said, I'm mad at God. And she said, I'm mad at God because he took my dad too early. And I said, well, how did he die? And her dad died of cirrhosis of the liver because he was an alcoholic. And she was mad at God because of the early death of this this father of hers, when really it was the consequences of his own choices and actions. So, the bottom line truth here in this passage is we need to be reconciled with God. Reconciled implies we're not in a right relationship with God. And you see the depth of it in chapter 1, verse 21. Look here. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. So, we're not just alienated, we're hostile in our mind, we're hostile in our actions some are hostile in their mind like my neighbor across the street and she was angry at god some are hostile in their minds because they've read the bible they don't like what they're reading in the bible especially in our culture in this day and time back in the 80s when aids first came out and people died when they got it i had a young man who sent for me uh he was near death when i walked in he just I i said tell me, tell me why you called for me. He said, I went to your church, but I got the feeling that God was against me. And to be honest with you, I got tired of beating my head up against God's laws. So I embraced who I am. I moved to, to Atlanta, embraced my homosexuality. And I just don't believe that I, I want anything to do with the Christianity will not let me be who I am. And, and I shared with him, I said, can I share with you a few things I think you might have wrong? First of all, I want you to know, god's never been against you he loves you he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you but not only that it's because the heavenly father loves you he gave you those laws if you had not beat your head up against those laws you wouldn't be dying right now the way you're dying your heavenly father didn't want this to happen to you that's why he gave you those laws and so we talked had a good honest discussion that was a tuesday On Saturday, he called me and said, I'm ready to accept Christ. And I went back to his home and I was able to lead him to Jesus. And on the next Tuesday, he died. So some folks are hostile because they don't like what they're reading in the Bible. Alienated in your mind. Some show their hostility to God in another way. And this breaks my heart as well. Some show their hostility toward God by just ignoring him. Through my years of being a pastor, one of the things that breaks my heart is when I have parents come to me of adult children they say my children will not take my phone call they will not let me come to their house I go through the holidays longing to be with them but we are so estranged that I can't be with my children or I've had children who've said my parents have cut me off completely. I would long to be with them but they won't pick up the phone when I call they won't answer a text so they won't folks. If you want to know hostility towards somebody, it may not be cussing them out in person, but to ignore someone can bring that kind of hostility. One of the great literature heroes was Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She was raised by a very tyrannical father, a man that just made her life miserable. And when she met Robert Browning, who she married, The dad made it clear that he wanted her to stay away from him. He would not bless this marriage. So they went and wed secretly because of her father's disapproval and then immediately moved to Italy where she spent the rest of her life there. They both, Robert and Elizabeth, did their writing in Italy. But she never forgot her dad and wanted fellowship. So every single week she would write out by hand a lengthy letter and mailed mailed it to her dad hoping that he would read it and see how much she loves him and, and, and respond And year after year. She was met only with silence. Ten years after she started writing, all of a sudden she received a box in the mail. She opened it up and the box contained every single one of the letters that she had written to her dad and none of them were opened. The last insult was just sending those letters back. When she died, someone found that box. And someone read those letters and they published them. And those letters are considered to be some of her greatest literary work. The letters from a daughter who longed to be able to just be reconciled with a father who didn't care. How many people are there in this county who never pray? No desire to go to church. Don't care to read a Bible and hear from the Heavenly Father just ignore them. So here we are alienated in our minds, but we're also alienated in our actions. Our sins have separated us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 1. Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear is not too deaf to hear but your iniquities are separating you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. You need to understand this, that God is so holy that when we sin, he has to turn his back upon us. Our sins do more than just damage our lives. Our sins put a barrier between us and God. And so here we were, hostile to God, alienated by our mind, hostile to god alienated by our actions and then we have this wonderful truth that jesus came to bring about reconciliation i'm going to look at those verses in just a moment but back in our american history there was a battle between the american fleet and the british and the american commander brought all the captains of the ships in his fleet to his ship for one last conference as they saw on the horizon the british that they were about to join in battle And this captain, this admiral knew that two of his captains were feuding with each other, wouldn't talk to each other. So he grabbed the two men and took their hands and joined them together inside of his hand. He said, gentlemen, the enemy's over there. We've got to go in here together. And I think what Jesus did when he hung between heaven and earth was he took our hand and he took the hand of the father. And he brought the two together. Listen to how reconciliation is focused on the cross in verse twenty and twenty through twenty-two. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless for them from before him. Folks, don't take for granted the price that had to be paid for us to be reconciled to God. It took the death of His Son. It took the shedding of the blood of the Son of God in order for us to be made right with God. What an incredible price for God so loved He gave His only Son. Ernest Gordon wrote a book that became a very famous movie. The movie was Miracle on the River Quiet. If you haven't seen it, it's from the fifties, but it was a classic. But the book that he wrote, and it was about his own first-hand true experience in that POW camp, it was called The Miracle on the River Kwai. And every time I've read about people who were prisoners of the Japanese during World War II, it breaks my heart, just the inhumanity with which they were treated. Uh, Gordon describes what had happened to the British soldiers who were there who had been captured and had been so mistreated. Listen to this. As conditions steadily worsened, as starvation, exhaustion, and disease took an ever-growing toll, the atmosphere in which we lived was increasingly poisoned by selfishness, hatred, and fear. We lived by the rule of the jungle, the survival of the fittest. The weak were trampled underfoot. The sick ignored or resented. The dead forgotten. When a man lay dying, we had no word of mercy. When he cried for help, we turned our heads. And then one day, a shovel changed everything. Now listen to this part. A shovel changed everything. At the end of each day, the tools were collected from the work party. On one occasion, a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing from that group, demanded to know which man had taken it. He began to rant and rave, working himself up into a paranoid fury, and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward, and no one moved. So he began to shout, I'll die, All die. And he picked up his rifle to begin shooting and killing everybody in that group, when all of a sudden, one man stood up. And the Japanese guard was so outraged that he turned the the gun around and literally, with the butt of the rifle, he beat the man to death. Listen to the book again. Word of this spread. Oh, by the way, when they came back to the camp, went back to the shed, counted again, there was no missing shovel. It had all been a miscount. And that man had stepped forward to save his friends. Word of this spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save others. This man's one, man's selfless sacrifice revolutionized the camp's atmosphere. The men began to treat each other like brothers with care and kindness. Death, he said, Gordon said, was still with us but we were slowly slowly being freed from its destructive grip folks here's what happens you need to know this when it grips you when you realize that one died for all look with me at second corinthians 5 i want to show you this in the scriptures for the love of christ compels us since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all Therefore, all died. Now, look at the next verse. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The price of our being reconciled is that Jesus stepped forward. The nails that should go in their hands, put them in mine. The blows they should receive, I'll take those blows and unselfishly he took our place he died for us that ought to melt our hearts that ought to make those who didn't care about God or running from God run toward him that's what God longs for and everything ought to change when we reconcile when we recognize the price of being reconciled now with that said I'm going to come to the most hard to interpret verse verse 23 so look with me here and then I'll try to explain it to you We've been reconciled if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. Whenever you see the words the faith, the the with it, it's referring to the gospel facts that we stand upon. Remain steadfast in in the faith and not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I can just hear somebody say, whoa, Baptist, isn't that one of those verses that teach you can lose your salvation? No, no, let me explain something being reconciled with God involves two different situations first of all I am ultimately and eternally reconciled with God when I put my faith in Jesus because whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life I have a place in heaven secured for me because he paid the price and brought and brought that about through his death on the cross But there's another aspect of salvation that I need to value as well. Because I wasn't just saved to go to heaven. I was saved to have fellowship with God. To be reconciled means that you love being with each other. That you spend time with each other. Now now here's what you need to know. I cannot lose my salvation. But there are times when God and I are not on speaking terms. There are times when my fellowship with him is not what it ought to be and I can't afford to go without that I know i'm prone to wander lord. I feel it And so what i've got to do is i've got to make sure that for fellowship's sake I stay quote reconciled with god I, I make sure there's nothing between god and I so that I can be able to have that kind of fellowship that fellowship is so vital in world war ii there was a prison camp. They would take the pilots when they were first captured and put them for weeks in solitary confinement as one of their ways to try to break them down because we humans are not made to be all alone. So they would put them there, so it would make it where they couldn't speak to anybody. They would quietly give them what little food they'd give them each day. But you know, we have ways of overcoming silence. And so what the prisoners learned to do was tap Morse code on the walls next to them so they could at least talk to somebody on this side and that side. Well, in one one particular prison, on one side was a lost person, on the other side was a saved person. And one day, as a man was just going under emotionally from solitary confinement, he tapped out, it is hell to be all alone with oneself. The Christian tapped back, it is heaven to be all alone with one's God. So I am created to have fellowship with God. I'm reconciled so that I can have the best walk with God. But if you're a Christian and there is distance between you and God right now, now think about this in this room. There has to be Christians that I thank God you came to church. That's a great step. But there has to be Christians that aren't on the best terms with God. So, how do I maintain that being reconciled so I can have that fellowship? How do I maintain a good relationship with God? Let me give you three steps that you can take in order as a Christian to maintain your fellowship with God. Number one, you make the first move back to God when you stray. You make the first move back to God when you stray. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8. I love this verse. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. What's the order? I feel like I'm far from God. Take a step toward him. And I guarantee this, if you take a step toward him, he'll run towards you. When I was growing up, we moved to Macon when I was in sixth grade. And we lived in a small house. And I had to share a room with my brother. I became a Christian. Even started preaching at 15. Began to long for a, quote, we called it a quiet time. Well, there is no quiet time in a small house if you share a room with your brother. But my dad who was so creative he had by hand welded together and made a camping trailer for us to go camping in and it was in the driveway and so if it wasn't a weekend that we were camping there it sat and he looked at me knowing how I longed to have better times with God he said that's your chapel <laughs> you go in and have that it's yours unless we're on a camping trip and so I got to have my time alone with God every day there. I, I, I got to, if I was going to preach, I got to go in there and work on sermons. I just love that thing. But, but here's the deal. I tried to be disciplined to go in there, but there were times when I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to go in that trailer. I remember one time I walked in, shut the door and I said to God, I'm here, but I don't want to be. <laughs> but then I said to him, but I'm not leaving until I'm on fire again. And I'll tell you this, I never went in the trailer cold, but that I didn't come out hot. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Second thing that we need to do if we feel like we're not on speaking terms with God. Confess any unconfessed sins. Confess any unconfessed sins. One of the most important verses in the Christian life is 1 John 1, 9. Look with me at every line. If we confess our sins, I've got to come to God and own up specifically. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what you need to know. Why is it we need to confess? Is it because God doesn't know about it? Do you go into God's presence and say, God, i got to tell you something. I just did Does You go... Ugh! I can't believe you did that. Of course not. God knows what we've done. The purpose for us confessing is for our sake. For us to own up to that in the presence of God. He says, I want you to come here and you confess. He already knows it, but I want you to confess. I heard this story years ago. There was a woman and a man that were married 30 years before that. He had committed adultery, but he kept it quiet. He never told her that. But when you hold a secret like that for 30 years, it eats your own soul up. But it also caused an increasing barrier. It was hard for him because he was so afraid of that discovery of that. He was so guilty because of what he done. It caused an increasing distance between he and his wife. Finally, after 30 years, he came to her and said, Honey, I've got to tell you something. 30 years ago, I committed adultery. And she said, I've known about it for 30 years. I've just been waiting for you to tell me that's what god wants to come and confess it if we confess our sins but notice what it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive look at the next part of that he is faithful and righteous to forgive so the third step number one draw near to god second step is confessing the unconfessed sin but third step is believe his promises and his faithfulness that's why it said that we are to be not moved away from the faith i've got to focus myself on the gospel truths the reason that i'm right with god is not my worthiness it's not my faithfulness now this is how we read it we say god god oh that was a bad one I come to you now and I confess that sin and I promise you, Lord, for the next three, well, well, three months minus one Sunday. I got to go to Talladega. uh, uh, Three months. I'll be faithful to you, Lord. I promise. And and I'll even go help in Love's Kitchen for three months. I'll be so faithful. Will you forgive me? That's not what it said. If we confess our sins, he's the one who's faithful. He's the one who's just The reason he forgives you is because those sins have already been paid for. So we focus on his faithfulness, on his being righteous, on his justice. And and so you're far from God. You, You take the first step back. You confess the sins that stand between you and God. And then... You focus on the gospel, the faith, and recognize that God is the one who forgives and forgets that you're saved, you're reconciled, you're standing, you're standing with him is based on what Jesus did, not what you do. Justin introduced me to a song this last week by a new song called A Thousand Steps. Let me read you the chorus. If there were a thousand steps between you and God and you could see no way across the great divide, just take one step toward his loving arms and he'll take the 999. Isn't that good? A thousand steps between you and God. You take one, he takes the 999. You know what he does? It's like the father of the prodigal son. As soon as he sees you coming, he runs towards you. Now, Jason's coming to the piano. I'm going to have him play quietly now. And this is what I want. I want to take some time. For you to make sure that you're reconciled with God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus as Savior, then, you're, then you need to have that first initial reconciliation of salvation. Say, Jesus, save me. I trust what you did for me on the cross. But I, then I want each one of us in God's presence to say, God, is there anything between you and me today? And then you draw near to Him by that step. You confess what He shows you. And you stand on his promise. Chase and play for us, and we'll just be quiet for a while.